Before we jump in, um, I want to make an announcement. Uh, so on June 10th, we're going to have something called Portland Day. Now, you may never heard of it because I made it up, I think. <laughs> but if it's out there, then amen. I need to make sure I'm not getting in trouble for copyright infringement. But the idea is, you know, as Christians, a big part of our faith in Jesus, believe it or not, is that we celebrate and we have fun. Sometimes we can think of Christians primarily as monastic people who are just praying and just, just stoic almost. But a huge part of following Jesus is having fun. And this day is to have fun as a community of believers. We will have good food. We got to organize all that, but we have good food. It will be, it will be family friendly. So we will make sure we have something for all people. Location and time will be announced in the coming weeks, but I want you guys to be, pre be prepared. But this is also an event I really am hoping that we could be a blessing to our communities as well. I think in these times, people are always looking for something fun to do. Life could be so serious, and at times it needs to be. But just having a moment where you could just kind of break out and just have a little bit of fun is worth it. So dates, locations, all of that will be forthcoming, but the date is set in June 10th. I just want to encourage you guys, family-friendly event that's going to have food. So a couple of years ago, I was at a bowling alley. People talk about people don't bowl. But I was at a bowling alley. I said that, that people don't bowl. <laughs> and I'm not good at bowling. But this bowling alley had a unique um, quality to it. it. It measured how fast you threw the bowling ball. So me and a couple of the guys I were with, we were, we, it was a whole bunch of ministers. So we were supposed to be this team versus that team, this team. Our team was getting destroyed. And so at some point... I slung the ball and it registered at 25 miles an hour. I was like, yeah. I missed everything. I missed everything. <laughs> but it hit 25. Another minister comes, I could do better. So he slings it and it goes 26. And then for the next 15 minutes, we're all throwing the bowling ball as hard as we can to see who could get the highest score. And so, mind you, we're losing epically at this point because of this. We were losing before, but now we're definitely losing. And then the guy who organized the entire event walks over and he's like, you guys are doing so bad. What are you doing? And then he looks and he sees us throwing it as hard as he, he's like, that's not how you play the game. I'm like, we remade the rules, man. We're having fun. When you can win, it's fun because we were losing and it wasn't fun. You know, a lot of times we intentionally did not do what the rules of bowling were because we weren't doing well. A lot of times we do the same thing spiritually, but it's not an unintentional. We, we actually, Jesus has an expectation for what it means to follow him. And at times we just do the complete opposite of what he actually desires. Sometimes in the name of fun, sometimes in the name of just plain ignorance. A quote from William Law. If you will here stop and ask yourself, why are you not as, as pious as the primitive Christians were? Your own heart will tell you that it is... That it is neither through ignorance nor inability, but purely because you never thoroughly intended it. William Law is making the point that, you know, a lot of followers of Jesus actually never really intended to be what Jesus called them to be. And there are a number of reasons for that. You know, as followers of Jesus, as apprentices, the goal is to be like Jesus. The goal is perfection. And I, and I heard myself just say that, and it is a high bar, perfection. It feels unattainable. It feels like, man, this is works-based righteousness. This is going to get everyone discouraged. And yet, 
perfection is more orientation of the mind and the heart than it is a destination. Though it is a destination. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5 verse 48. Today we're going to talk about this call to perfection that every follower of Jesus needs to yield to. Every follower of Jesus needs to desire this call to perfection. Matthew 5 verse 48. Here, Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, he already said the Beatitudes. He already said that your righteousness, your righteousness needs to surpass that of the Pharisees. And then he is wrapping up kind of this thought. This is one big message, but this is an important part of that message. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. I don't know how many of you have read this. I remember the first time I came across this particular passage. The first word that came out of my mouth, I think, I'm like 98% sure, was psych. No one could be perfect. <laughs> like, perfect how? I already messed up my journey toward perfection. And yet, I think I understand more what Jesus is getting to. You see, the goal of apprenticeship to Jesus is to be perfect. Now, that word perfect is come from the Greek teleos, which can mean mature or perfect, where we get our, our word telos from, which is the end game. Like, what are we trying to do? What are, where are we trying to go with this? Perfection in the mind of the first century would have been the complete form of what you were intended to be. It would not have been like flawless in the, thing, in the sense of how we think flawless, but what you were intended to be. You see, the first thought when you hear this teaching is how can we explain this away? I know it's a natural impulse. I have had those feelings as well. No one can be perfect like God. He's perfect. Like in every way, he's perfect. You might be thinking, and it's wrong for us even to pursue perfection. We have to make sense of this teaching of Jesus, but it can't really mean that we should be perfect. Or there are a number of songs about this. I am only human. I am only human. That feels like the, the perfect excuse for why we cannot maximize anything in life. I've said it before. I'm only human, man. Like, what do you want from me? And yet Christ says, be perfect as your father is perfect. I don't believe this is a random command, and I don't believe it's supposed to be read as a random command. I think it actually is supposed to be what every follower of Jesus is striving to embody as kingdom citizens, as apprentices of Jesus, that we are perfect. Now, there's some different ways we could go about this perfection that may not be helpful. For a long time, I believed, and I've tried, and I have found myself saying that's not necessarily it, that maybe if I just said to myself right now, I'm going to obey every single thing in the Bible and that's it. It's going to work. Any of you who've ever tried that project, if you are careful in your reading of scripture, you find how quickly, how difficult that is. You feel like, man, I have to spend my whole day first memorizing every single thing that's in here. Like I have to memorize every single thing that's in here. And then I have to be cognizant of applying it consistently in every single situation that I encounter. Well, needless to tell you, I've been working on memorizing the Gospel of John for the last five years, and I'm only six chapters in. You see how difficult that is? John is so discouraging. I can't even... I should have chose the easier book, honestly. <laughs> but I used to think that I just had to read it and do it. Now, there is a component of it. You read it, and you really do try to strive after, after Jesus, but it's deeper than that. I think Jesus' call is to cosmology, to who are you naturally? The million dollar question, what is a human? Jesus' call to perfection is a call back to humanity. 
So what does it mean to be human? Let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. What does it mean to be human? You know, Genesis lays out some very important teachings. One of the most important teachings that Genesis 1 lays out is that mankind, man and woman, are made in the very image of God. Let's read Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said to them, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. We were created in the image of God. We were created to reflect God back to him, back to the rest of creation. You see, this biblical perception of the magnificence and triviality of humanity comes squarely from the biblical account of our origin. Like, what does it mean to be human? People were for all their physical dimensions made to be like God. We all look different in here, and yet all of us were made in the image of God. And we were made to exercise his lordship, care, and supervision over all of creation. I know what you're thinking. Well, Steve, you just read this, but I think that's in context. I think that's just Adam and Eve. That's not us. So... A little bit of Hebrew study. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I can read English that talks about Hebrew. (laughs) And so the word Adam can refer to an individual, but it also can refer to a collective noun. So Adam can be Adam, man, one person, or could be mankind. And so when God in this part in Genesis says, let us make mankind, that's the Hebrew word Adam in our image. He's saying, like, make all the humans in our image to be this way. And this idea is that all of mankind will govern the way that God governs, serves the way that God serves. And so our call as humans is to actualize this, to use the the God-given gifts and talents to conceptualize and put this into practice. Now, you all may be wondering, like, but how and why? And this is difficult. And here's the thing. Genesis chapter 3 is known as the fall. Every person and in every circumstance, we have all been hit by the fall. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the fall prevents us from living into what God has called us to be. That's on an individual level and that's on a communal level. Systems are broken. Systems are falling. People are falling. That does not mean they're without redemption, but that these things are falling. And so this call to perfection can feel like, well, Steve, if I'm falling, then why are we even talking about it? Why does Jesus even expect this of us? Jesus is going to tell us why he expects this of us. If you read the entire book of Matthew, you will see that he even equips us to be the people he's talking about. You see, in the case of humans, however, God imparted something special in us that nothing in all of creation has. His image, his breath of life, his spirit is dwelling in each person, his life giving force. Now, we get it in a unique way after we become followers of Jesus, but we also have it in so many ways that some of us are naturally more like God in some areas than others. Mm-hmm. You know, you, we've all encountered people who believe different things than we do and maybe even don't believe in anything. And you're like, this person is just naturally kind. This person is naturally merciful. This person is naturally just and a person of integrity. We see that. And they're living into the very image of God that they were made into. Right. 
And then there's other areas of us, and we see it in ourselves, and we see it in our neighbors, where you're like, this person is nothing like that. But then if they've been following Jesus faithfully after 10 years, you're like, you know, you're a lot nicer. <laughs> and they're like, I still feel the evil in my heart. But, I'm, you know, you become like, what's the Incredible Hawk's line? He's like, uh, I'm always angry. But the longer you're in Christ, your anger doesn't manifest itself the way it used to. I was talking to a brother, and he was like, I just get, like, ticked off about everything. And he looks so joyful until he's not joyful. Until he's not joyful, he just looks so joyful. I'm like, wow, I see it. You know, I think about the different um, people I've gotten to know over the years, especially as they've been followers of Jesus for a long time. And I, and I am assuming that they've been yielding and giving to the Holy Spirit the last couple of years. And so when they say things about themselves like, man, before Christ, I was like this. I'm like, I can't see it. Now, there's other times when people say, before Christ, I was like this. I'm like, I can totally still see it. <laughs> if this is progress, I don't want to see you what you're like before you made the progress. And so the goal is to be image bearers of God. When Jesus says, be perfect as your father is perfect, I think he's talking cosmologically speaking and saying, go back to what I created you to be, what I created this world to be, to, for you and these people to steward this in a faithful way. Let's go to Galatians, I mean, not Galatians, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. You see, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you ever wonder what would an image bearer look like, what would it, what would it be like to faithfully image the creator of heaven and earth? What would it be like to faithfully image Jesus? Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 speaks to it. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Be perfect like the Father is perfect is a call to imitate Jesus. That's our call. We need to be like Jesus. So when he says be perfect as the Father is perfect, you have to understand where this is being read. This is in chapter 5 of a great reveal that is only going to happen at the end of Matthew that they find out. That God with us is Jesus. He couldn't say be perfect as I am going to show you I'm perfect because he would have lost his audience immediately. He is calling them to say, be like the father. and You're going to see after following me, I am like the father. When we are perfect, there is nothing in us that is not of him. That's a quote from Christopher Holmes. I know sometimes we don't desire to be perfect. Sometimes being broken feels like it could get you a lot further in life than being perfect. Sometimes being messy feels like, man, that's more ideal than being what Christ is calling me to be. But trust him. Trust him. You see, the goal of apprenticeship to Jesus is we would be perfect. And this is where the disciplines come in. This is where the trellis of the disciplines form us into greater Christ likeness. You see, perfection is the full restoration of the image of God in each and every one of us. So transformation into greater Christ-likeness is walking in the way that Jesus walked. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 through 16. We want the perfect, even if at times you feel like, no, I don't want the perfect. Yeah. We want the perfect. You were designed for the perfect. You were created for the perfect. You were created to be the image of God. If you have the Holy Spirit in you today, it is moving you in that direction or trying. It won't go against your will, but it is trying to move you in that direction. First Peter chapter one, verse 15. But just as he called you is holy. So be holy in all you do. 
For it is written, be holy because I am holy. You see, the command isn't just to exist. In the garden, there's nowhere mentioned in the first two chapters of Genesis where God says, this is holy. Because everything has been set apart for his unique design and purpose. It isn't until man deviates from his plan that he has to call people like, okay, set yourself apart from what everyone else is doing and be what I'm calling you to be. In verse 16, it says, be holy because I am holy. That is the name that he uses in, in, in the burning bush. And it's about God's being. God in his godness is holy. Like, think about that. Like, he's holy. Like, God is love. And a part of that manifestation of that love is his holiness. God is love. A part of that manifestation of his love is his justice. God is love. And a part of that manifestation of it is his wrath. God is love. And you take all the components that you think about God when you see in the Old Testament and some in the New Testament. It all comes from just who he is, not what he's becoming. And so God is calling us to be holy. You see, what, 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 what would holiness look like for disciples? And it's so much deeper, guys, so much deeper than sexual purity. It includes sexual purity for sure. We want to be set apart in our sexual purity. We want to have sexual integrity. But it's how we view the world. It's how we view the world. We learn how to view the world like Jesus. We learn how to view people who are hurt like Christ. Holiness is all-encompassing. And I think we've done a disservice to only make it primarily about sexual integrity. While sexual integrity is critical and important. It's to be a disciple or an apprentice of Jesus living in his kingdom who makes disciples and forms them in inner Christ likeness. It takes the goal of it is to be a people who could be formed into inner Christ likeness that we easily and routinely do the things that Jesus told us to do. Can we become a people who could just simply easily obey Jesus? That's really the goal. Now, some of you don't even realize it. You've been training yourself positively to be like this, that it does come routinely. You may, have, you may not even realize it, that God was forming you or someone else was forming you, but it comes routinely. <clears throat> you know, I, I share this a lot about Connor, but Connor's one of the most generous people I know. He's just naturally generous. And he's actually not naturally generous when you talk to when his parents came here and I was talking to them and how he used to fight his brother and all this other stuff. <clears throat> You did, initially, you thought, oh, he's just always been that way. But he has been serving since the day he got baptized. He's been serving, 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 serving. So at every single point when God calls him to give more, it's natural. It feels natural for the rest of us who naturally don't like to serve. So you say, hey, we're moving and we need 10 brothers to help. I look at that text. I think about my lower back. I think about the day. And I'm just like, I know we got 10 faithful people here. You're not Abraham. <laughs> a- Abraham was like, who's faithful? He's like, I- I- I'm like, I know we do. Like, I know we do. And I don't want to be 11 and they got to figure out how to feed me and all this other stuff. I'm like, it's all good. I'm not going to do it. And then I get a text message. Hey, so we need you. And then I start praying, like, God, let me do this without a grumbling spirit. Let me not do this with a, like, I can walk in if I'm going to serve you, and I need your accountability. I can walk in, so how long do you think we're going to do this? <laughs> like, two hours. I, as soon as you tell me the two hours, I'm like, what time is it, 10.45? Okay, so 12.45, I'm wrapping up. <laughs> we're not getting an overtime of service. <laughs> but that's not Connor. Ask him to move today. He's going to be like, oh, let me see what I can draw. Uh-huh. I'm just like, wow. Yeah, amen. 
I'm like, that's just a good dude. Hey, man, we, can, can I throw out your trash? He'd be like, you could. Yes. You totally could. Let me do your dishes, too. He'd be like, oh, man. If you invite me over, I might, I know I should have to do your dishes because you served me and everything, so I throw it out there. But you won't ever hear me fight you. She's like, nah, you don't need to do it. All right, cool. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going to do your dishes. I actually didn't want to. I just threw it out there as a nice thing to do. I'm still being formed. Now, if you would have met me before, you'd be like, Steve, you really don't like helping people in this way. You're like, yes, I do not like helping people in this way. Now, you might see me at these things, and I try to smile, but the whole time when I get back, Jules is like, how did it go? And I'm like, I said I wasn't going to grumble, so don't ask me that question. (laughs) And I just go about my life. Sanctification does take time. But hopefully a decade from now, hey, man, someone needs help. Yeah, I can help. Steve, do you like doing that? No, not really, but it's okay. It's all good. Then 20 years from now, yo, I actually enjoy this. I enjoy serving people in this way. And then I'm like, man, who else can I serve? Give me an opportunity to serve. Right now, I'm working in that direction. The Lord is working in my life. I understand the necessity for service. But the goal of discipleship is when we start to easily and routinely do the things that Christ is calling us to do. It just becomes easy. It just becomes like this is what we want to do. And so there is a component of it that there is God's work, the Holy Spirit working in us and moving in our lives. And there is our work. And the scriptures are filled with these agriculture analogies or or illustrations to help us understand. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 through 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 through 9. What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are God's co-workers... In God's service, and you are God's field and building. What Paul is talking about here is we work together. God is making it grow. We work. Anyone who's ever worked on a farm, I've never worked on a farm, so all of this is just coming from commentary. But if you really worked on a farm, you know this might be true. And if it's not true, you can talk to me afterwards because I just read a commentary um, on how the farming situation works. But, you know, you till the ground, you do the stuff, like make sure it's all ready. I don't know how you till well, but, you know, you do all the tilling. You get the ground to be what it's supposed to be. You throw the seeds in there. And then at some point you go outside and you hope it rains and you hope everything else. You hope the animals don't come and mess with it. That's the God part of it. The rain and preventing like pests from messing with it. Your part is to prepare the ground. And the same thing here, this call to perfection, you're like, okay, is my desire to be as perfect as Christ is? Ask the million dollar question. Do you wake up in the morning and say, man, I really want to follow Jesus in his entirety. Like, I really want to be like Jesus all across the board. If you wake up thinking like that, God is like that soil is ready for something to grow. That soil is ready to become transformed into who I'm calling them to be. But if you wake up in the morning, I know I got a lot of things I'm holding on to. That call to perfection means absolutely nothing to me. I'm more concerned about where I go when I die than how I live presently. Then you're going to get what you're looking for, which isn't being made into the very image of Christ. 
You see, it starts with the mindset of this is what I want. I talked about it um, last week that we aren't just simply people who get information and we're transformed. Our loves need to be transformed. And so true transformation comes from grace and by grace and channeled through our humble efforts. <clears throat> so true formation, I mean, not transformation, true formation. And so it is an act of grace that we are being transformed. It's an act of grace that we are becoming what Christ is calling us to be. And yet it does require our humble efforts. Yeah. Now, let me just say this. Spiritual formation is messy and it's imprecise. What we talk about over the next five years will not work perfectly for everyone. Some of you will work better than others. It's messy and it's imprecise. And so even though we're going to talk about theories and technique, I recognize that the Holy Spirit and faith is a huge part of the transformation. And I don't want to negate that work as well. So we are going to be practicing a spit the bones mentality. So we may talk about fasting, we may talk about prayer, we may talk about solitude, fellowship, and you're like, man, that one wasn't good for me. Spit the bones. You are not bad if you spit the bones. These are things to form you into the perfect person that Christ is calling you to be. His very image. Let's go to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Verse 18 through 20. This is the last teaching he gives his apostles as he gets ready to ascend to the right hand of the Father. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We recognize... <clears throat> That we need to be taught to obey the teachings of Jesus. Easier said than done. But we need to be taught to obey the teachings of Jesus. Yeah. And that's challenging. Yeah. You know, there are cultural components of obeying Jesus that just fits with being an American citizen. So in America, you can't kill anyone. So it's easier to follow the commands to not kill anyone as a follower of Jesus because there's triple the consequence. There's what you get from God, but it's also what the local police would do to you as well. There are things in America that makes it really challenging. So like if you are like someone who is hustling people, their FBI is going to come and find you and put you in jail. So it's easy. But then there are things that the current society don't even care about that you are called to be faithful to. You know, a couple of weeks ago, like I mentioned, um, Love drives us, not necessarily our mind. I could give you all the information in the world. They're filled in the library, and that won't transform us. It's our love that transforms us. And so how do we become a people who can deeply desire perfection? It comes from a deep desire to love God. Now, how do we love God? <clears throat> there are many ways, but these are the two ways I have seen personally that I've read that helps most of us grow in our love for God. And the two are awe and gratitude. Having an awe and a grateful heart are foundational in growing our love for God. It's an inside-out transformation that transforms us. And the disciplines help us. Like, I know a lot of you guys, when you go hiking, that's what you love. You get up there, you see the sun break through the clouds, and you're up there, and you're just like, wow, God is so good, and God is so big. This trail just helped me see him and feel his presence. Mm -hmm. 
gratitude. You know, it's really hard. The more, the more stripes you get, the more blue ribbons you get in this life, blue ribbons being the accomplishments and what you feel entitled to, to be grateful. The reason you see in a lot of low-income areas that the vast majority of people are followers of Jesus, honestly, and at least in my experience, is they're so grateful. They're like, oh, I got food today. This is awesome. Man, God is good, isn't he? You don't hear that in middle-class communities and high-class communities. Like, I'm wealthy. Of course I got food. Oh, you're like, yo, the the guy who's going to cut our electricity, he forgot to come today. God is good. Yeah. And everyone's like, man, won't he do it? And you're like, yeah, this is awesome. Because they're like, I got one more day of electricity. When you're wealthy and you have a lot going on, you're like, you, I paid my bill on time. Of course it's not cut. You don't recognize that your ability to work and do those things has come from God. So you're not grateful. You're like, my hands did this. This is Deuteronomy in a nutshell. He's like, don't forget. Your hands will get you some things and you're like, don't forget. But to cultivate, I think this is one of the biggest challenges, especially in middle class communities and high class communities, is cultivating an environment of gratitude. Because you have to be able to delineate really well that it isn't you who gave yourself those gifts and talents. You know, when you're on your knee praying, God, give me a job, give me the right opportunity, you got it. And then next thing you know, you're like, well, I moved up the rank because I'm awesome. And so I got steak on my table because I closed the deals. And so we got steak, we got potatoes, we got any other thing. Like people eat deer, which is crazy. Like you got the deer on They feel like those, 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 don't they feel like you look at those animals like we should be friends with them. We shouldn't be eating them, but amen, people eat them. And you accomplish all of that. I don't eat them. <laughs> I, don't, I don't eat deer. <laughs> and if you ever fed me deer, I'm judging you and don't feed me that again because they should be our friends and not our food. Like, shame on you guys for eating those friendly looking animals. <clears throat> I digress. No judgment. If you eat deer, I just hope you you are a better person man <clears throat> but what i'm saying is all in gratitude all in gratitude how do we grow in our love for god where you walk away it, it's funny because we can read a million and one scriptures and it could be information we got about god but when you walk outside again nature walks being around children there's so many different things that could create all and, and you may know what's helpful for you, and it may be different from anyone else, but that's the idea. But then the spirit of gratitude. That's challenging. The more, that's why Jesus in his teaching says it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. You won't ever grow in your love for God because you're not grateful for God. Because you figured, I got this all myself. <clears throat> and so salvation, biblically speaking, is more concerned about how we live as faithful image bearers here and now than where we spend eternity. And so we are called to salvation. We are called to live into salvation. And it's about a here and now transformation. So the call to perfection isn't really that it isn't really as outrageous as we think. It's actually the trajectory to which the Holy Spirit is moving us anyway. We are just working in lockstep with the spirit. Let's go to Galatians 4, 19. So this call to perfection requires, again, that we start focusing on what God is doing here and now and not necessarily being overly consumed with what comes next. Though what comes next is important. Galatians 4, 19. 
My dear child, for who I am again in pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. For the women in here who have given birth and for the men who have witnessed these women give birth, you recognize the pains of childbirth. I think the women recognize it to a degree that men would never be able to recognize. But I, I know when someone looks like they're in pain and I've seen it. But the goal is that Christ is formed in you. Paul is like the same way that you could think of a woman who is pregnant and getting ready to give birth to this child is the same way he is laboring that people would be like Jesus. That people would be completely and utterly like Jesus. Paul had one solitary focus, and that is that Christ would be formed in the people. And that is the call to perfection. You know, again, I think a lot of times our focus can be, I'm just trying to make it to heaven. I hear that statement a lot. I'm just trying to get into heaven, man. I'm just trying to get into heaven. Where Jesus is like, man, heaven starts now if you faithfully follow me. You can live into heaven now if you want it. It's on, it's, it's on availability right now, this second, by how you live. But again, it starts with a desiring and a love for God and awe and a gratitude. Let's go to Luke 8. Luke 8, 15. Jesus is using agriculture again to kind of describe the way of the kingdom. Luke 8, 15. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a good crop. That heart, the word heart is the seat of our physical, spiritual, and mental life. They didn't think of the heart simply as our seat of our emotions. They were just like, man, this is the drive, this is the engine in the system. You know, again, the Enlightenment has told us the mind is the engine in the system. The first century is like, no, that thing that makes you want to your willpower, your desire, that thing, that's the driver of it all. And so the heart is more how we think about the whole person, like the thinking, the feeling, the volition, all of that. And he's like, the person who's going to produce a good crop has a good heart. The good heart, like I actually want what God wants. And so it's going to produce a crop in my life. Now, what are the challenges to wanting what God wants? Sometimes what God wants and how he wants us to get it is not when we want it and how we want to get it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, it, it, it's, it's challenging at times. You're like, I could move up the corporate ladder if I turn into a serpent in here. Mm-hmm. And if I turn into a serpent, I'll be at the top at the CEO, and then the kingdom blessings are going to come falling down, man. I'm going to change it up once I get to the top. By the time you get to the top, you've been transformed. And there's, it's a lot harder to change what you've already did a really bad habit in. Yeah. You know, I, I've, been, I've had the honor and privilege to be in so many studies to help people know Jesus. And one of the common refrains I hear is, I'm going to follow Jesus after I'm married, after I have some kids, after I do these things. Now I'm 36 years old, so now I got time on my side. So I've seen some of these people who made those decisions back then when we were 23, 24. And now we're in our 30s. And I could tell you confidently, a lot of those guys, some of those things that they thought would miraculously disappear and make it easy for them to follow Jesus actually got a lot more difficult. You know, they're like, man, my marriage is tough. It's hard. It's difficult. Like, you got an easy wife, which I do. (laughs) I do. (laughs) 
However, <laughs> and that's a, that's a grace from the living God that I, I, I married well. Um, but Jules's foundation was Jesus before Steve, Steve even entered the picture. Jules's foundation is Jesus even if Steve leaves the picture. And so since she is yielding to Jesus, it makes it easy for her to yield to me. And since I'm yielding to Jesus, it's easy for me to yield to her. So we don't get into a lot of the disagreements that naturally would have happened if we weren't formed. Like if I, Jules and I have talked like who we were before we knew Jesus. That thing would have exploded four months into the relationship. <laughs> Jules would have wanted me on the streets rioting and all this other stuff. And I would have been like, let's do a credit card scam together. And it, <laughs> I, I would have got pepper sprayed from going to the protests that she was a part of. And she would have went to jail with me because of our credit card scam. That's the trajectory we were on before the blood of Christ. I wanted zero kids. I don't know if she wanted kids back then, but I wanted zero kids. This would have been a mess without the blood of Christ. Like, I'm fully persuaded, apart from Christ, this... This dynamic, some of your dynamics can totally work probably without you, personality matches up. You both love playing hockey and all the other good stuff. But this dynamic would not work apart from the blood of Christ. But as I get older, a lot of my peers who thought, man, I would find the perfect person, have the perfect situation, and then Jesus would be the cherry on top, misses the point that Jesus should be the foundation. The call to perfection felt like, man, that's just one thing too high. It's going to prevent me from getting the kind of person I desire, the relationship I desire, the life I desire. But it's actually what's leading you in that direction. Again, think about it even from a point where, man, I, 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 if I continue to like be 100% pure, my life is going to be awful. It's like, what? Like, is this so challenging to be 100% pure? And then you sit back and realize what's being formed in you is freedom. Freedom. Christ is forming you to, to be a person who could be completely and utterly free. And you're like, do I really want freedom or do I want these shackles? In the moment, you don't frame it in that way. Yeah. It's like, do I really want what I want? God's grace is so sufficient. Or do I want to do with Jesus and just be discouraged? Mm-hmm. you like, yeah, I want the shackles. But freedom, man, it takes a while to get adjusted to freedom. Mm-hmm. Freedom feels different. Because mm-hmm. we're so used to being enslaved, when we're finally free, we feel like, man, something's wrong. I feel like I don't need to do everything that I feel like I need to do. Mm-hmm. And other people have been free for a while. I'm like, that's freedom. Like, really? Mm-hmm. But when no one's been free, you're like, yeah, man, just... Neurosis, just go back to doing what you're used to doing so you could feel normal. But normal isn't the call. The call is to be an image bearer of Jesus. You see, heeding the call to perfection requires us to have our affections geared toward Jesus. We need to love him deeply. And once we do, then this call to perfection becomes easy. Think about it for a moment. Everyone in here is chosen by God. Everyone not in here is chosen by God. God has chosen the whole world because he sent Jesus to die. That alone gives you value. That alone gives you value. That God said, I will allow Jesus to die for this whole world. If you accomplish nothing else in this life, Jesus died for you. You're made in the image of God, but you are worthy because he died for you. Even if the world consistently reminds you you're not worthy. You are blessed if you decided to follow Jesus. What's spoken of of Jesus at the baptism means that this is my son in whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Because we are in Christ, that's what 1 Corinthians talks about. 1 Corinthians 12, we are in Christ. We are the body of Christ. What's true of Jesus becomes true of you. And Jesus had those words spoken over him before he accomplished anything. 
So everyone in here, the blessing that God has for you is that I'm well pleased with you. You're my child. Before you accomplish anything, you'll be the worst father in the world and prayerfully you change. But you're in him, you're well pleased. You could be the worst co-worker in the world, worst roommate, worst child. And he's like, I love you. But Steve, what about our brokenness? It just feels like, how can you put together a broken cup? So you're talking about this call to perfection, but I got all of these layers of brokenness. Like I got daddy wounds, mommy wounds, grandma wounds, aunt wounds, wounds from wounds and wounds from friends, wounds from strangers. I am broken. I hate myself and I hate others. Can, I, can God turn that into perfection? Yes. Yes. Now, your journey might take a little bit longer than someone else who don't have the same amount of wounds. And that's why you can't keep your eyes on what other people are doing. You need to focus on Jesus. But there is healing there. There is life there. Like in your brokenness, God can meet you where you are and bring you to where he is taking you. Which is amazing. And again, it does, it does, I wish certain transformation happened quickly. Certain transformation takes a long time. Some of the transformation won't happen until we see Jesus face to face. And then when we see him on the last day, when we come in contact with Jesus and the Father, and we get to look him in the face, he might say something to the effect, I know. I know what happened to you. I know how hard it was. I know you were challenged. I know it was tough. You hung in there. I saw it. I felt it. It was challenging for me to witness it. But I love you and you're safe here. The tears, the pain, they get wiped away. He's like, you are in my presence now. And this call to perfection helps you see it more clearly as the story comes to a conclusion. As we're moving in that direction, we start to see like, man, God really does know and he really does care. And so we take this broken body and we give it to others. I was reading um, a little bit morbid, but I was reading on how to die well. I'm not planning on leaving soon. But I just started getting interested in that for whatever reason. And so I, I recently ordered some books from Amazon. All these guys are like in their late 70s and they're about to die, right? So I'm like, what, what would you write when you're about to die? You know what I mean? Like, they're not going to like, I don't think any of them have like any illnesses that I'm aware of. But, you know, you ain't got too much longer when you're like 75, 78, you know, you got, you could kind of see, see Don coming up. We don't want any of them to die early, but one of the guys was writing and he said, you know what he learned in, in his first half of life? He said the first half of life, he felt like, man, what do I have to do to love? Well, how can I give? How can I do this? How can I do that? He's like, now he's on this side of life. And he's like, my life is about preparing to die well. And preparing to die well means I give myself away. He's like, I give myself away. He's like, how can I help people? How can I give to people? So this guy is like 81 years old. And he's like, he is like the leader of his um, retirement home. And they organize things. And he's like, I want to give myself away. I'm like, man, when I'm 81 years old, I want to be somewhere not drinking pina coladas. But I want to be care happy and joyful. I don't want to be giving myself away. But then I thought to myself, because this guy was a priest his whole life. And he retired from the priesthood. Now, is that the end game? Is that what would happen if I pursue perfection? That eventually I'm going to say, just like Jesus, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for your friends. I'm like, ah, that might happen. I might get to the point where I'm 80 and everyone's like, hi, you live. Like, why do you want to give it away? Instead of how we normally live in America where we're trying to hoard. We're hoarding, 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 hoarding. So when I retire, it's all about me. If I keep following Jesus, I suspect I'll be in the same community as this guy. 
I'm like, oh, it's the last leg, man. I'm going to give it all away. I'm going to give it all away. And I see the Lord, and he's like, you died at 84. And I'm like, and I'll be just as happy. Now, think about this for a moment. This call to perfection. All of our practices and formations are actually to help us yield the fruit that Christ is calling us to. The practices and the formations do not make us closer to God, do not make God love us more, but they help us yield the fruit that Christ is looking for. Imagine this perpetual existence of living in the fruit of the Spirit in every sphere of your life. Like, man, in your marriage, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness. In your household, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness. In your workplace, love, joy, kindness, peace, goodness, self-control. Imagine constantly that that's just your natural refrain when you're operating in those places. How much better you will feel about your life. Now imagine when things aren't going well and you have the full armor of God on consistently. Are you like, I got the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the belt of truth, the readiness of the gospel, the sword of the spirit. And you just feel like, man, everyone looks around like you handle challenges completely different than everyone else. It's because you've been yielding and following to Jesus. And so the spiritual formation is critical to that endeavor. So the first week, one of the practicals and challenges was take an inventory of your love. Last, last week, we talked about slowing down and creating margin, three intervals in the day, if possible, to see what's up with you, what's going on in your heart. You see, today, I want the practical for you individually, but then as a community group, to be, share about your journeys, your highs and lows, with, with the goal of, I'm trying to see God, I'm trying to create awe and gratitude in my life. Highs and lows help us create awe and gratitude. Sometimes it may not create awe and gratitude in us, but it creates awe and gratitude in other people. I want you to pick one or two people in your community group to share your highs and lows with. And I get it. What I'm asking can feel like a sacrifice because it is. That means a little less TV. I know we're in the middle of the semifinals in the playoffs. That means we might miss a little bit of the first quarter. Maybe we can have the game on on silent as we talk to someone. We can see what the score is, see what's going on. But we give our heart first and foremost to the human being we're talking to. Maybe it requires more of a sacrifice in another, in another area. But I want us to try to regularly connect. You know, the early church, that was one of their strengths. They connected consistently. I have seen the most spiritual growth in my life when I'm connecting with other followers of Jesus consistently. Other peers and people more mature than me. And when I'm connecting with them consistently, I start to real, I start to grow and mature in all areas of my life. So then when we get together as a community group, I want us to be modest. Some of us are really strong personalities. You are fully persuaded that the Holy Spirit has given you a direct line and he's only talking to you and everyone needs to do it your way. If you read the Bible, there's so many different ways of connecting with God. So I want you to share modestly how you experience God's awe and how you have created a spirit of gratitude and hear other people share the same thing. But the goal of if there's anything intriguing that we hear during community group, try it out. So if I'm in our community group and Lord is is like, man, I really connect with God when I listen to instrumental music and when I make something like make food or something. I'm like, you know what? I feel like that's been kind of difficult. So you know what? I'm going to listen to instrumental music and I'm going to cook. And I walk away, I'm like, oh, man, Lord has found, found it. Or I might walk away, like, okay, that's Lord is this thing. You know, Trevor got the 70s mu- music here cranking. I think the 90s was better, but, you know. 
But that might be how he connects with, with, with the living God. And so you need to get one of these things, Billy Joe, and crank it out. And you might walk away and be like, I feel closer to God because Billy Joe did it for me. And by the way, this is like one of the creepiest photos you ever see. Like, it is like crazy creepy. Let him show you. Like, there's a mask on a pillow. Like, it just seems like killer vibe, you know? Like. But what I'm saying is, as we share in community group, let's share and we, we can inspire one another. Now, we got to be careful being dogmatic about it. You know, some you might be like, this is the only way to do it. There's so many different ways. The goal is that you would have awe and that you would develop a deep sense of gratitude. Amen. And so, again, the goal of this whole series is to prepare us for why we need the disciplines. Why we need these practices in order to be faithful apprentices of Jesus. We can't so much worry about um, getting heaven, getting to heaven when God is so much more concerned about getting heaven into us. And so the call to perfection is a call back to our humanity. Let's um, reflect and then we'll take we'll pray for communion.